Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, it is Monday evening, that means it's time for the Anglo-Italian pod Monday night, you're a review show. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friends. We're going to start with, I think is a point in the right way, Adam and Ben, how's everybody doing? All good, <laughs> man, how are you? Good weekend? Great weekend, mate. It's always good when you, uh, that's the great thing about playing on a Friday, is that if you win, it just sets up the weekend nicely so it can't ruin it, that's so... Uh, yeah, it was good, and got to sit back and watch some of the football, kind of without more, without, without that extra, extra added level of stress, which was, which was nice. That's it. The second you got the win, you can just watch, like you can hate watch the whole weekend. You're just like, well, we exactly. won, so no matter what happens, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. feet up for the rest of the weekend. But yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Nice, nice. What about yourself, Adam? Decent weekend. Wickham are struggling a bit at the minute. I don't know if you want me to bring it up or not, but I'm yeah, going to bring it. Well, up. I'm donning the shirt, right? So I might as well kind of. Uh exudes kind of confidence in the team it was actually a decent result against derby county we got a 97th minute penalty it was kind of a scene from fm you weren't expecting it and then play goes down penalty given and we uh, slammed it back home to uh, the uh, pride park crowd but um yeah apart from that i'm still trying to shake off this viral infection whatever the hell it is and uh, fell flat on my ass twice on the ice rink this weekend. So, oh, um, yes, never that. pleasant. The second time was like, um, I remember pulling a cruise shirt once and I was like, right, I'm feeling this twinge a bit. I'm going to come off now. Like I've had my like half an hour was good runnings. And then I've had two in about a space of five minutes where I've been on my ass. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I'm no uh, Casanova on the ice rink. Let's put it that way. So uh, <laughs> just calling for the yeah. sub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, straight away. Move me on, move me yeah. on, mate. The missus was literally talking about this this weekend. Oh, we should go to we should go ice skating. I just straight away, nope. I do not <laughs> want to make a dick of myself in public. I do that enough. I don't need to do it on ice. <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. Um, we do need to say welcome to our friends on Instagram for the first time. We are streaming live on Instagram. We're in the 22nd century, guys. We're we're, we're flying. <laughs> um, so we're coming at you from everywhere. We have a lot to talk about this show. Um, We're going to not really be talking about Anfield because there wasn't really much to talk about. So we're going to look elsewhere. We're going to be talking about um, Man City Crystal Palace. We'll be talking about West Ham a little bit. Brentford and Villa. um, Incredible scenes there. Um, Arsenal 
getting a massive win over Brighton. And then, of course, we'll have to spend a little bit of time at Anfield talking about how disappointed we were there. Um, Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot. What are we talking about in Italy? In Italy, I suppose we will start off with the late kickoff from last night, which was Lazio and Inter. Uh, Inter showing their credentials again as champions. Um, obviously, we have to remind ourselves of the Friday fixture as well. So Genoa holding off Juventus to a one or draw, which means Juve have actually dropped some points for once, which is delightful. We'll also talk about Bologna and that continuous climb up the table. They now find themselves suddenly in fourth place thanks to a 2-0 win over Roma. And there's um, certain circumstances around Renato Sanchez we have to talk about. So uh, we'll talk about that as well. And Fiorentina, they still win games, even though they're shit. So uh, we'll probably <laughs> remind ourselves about that as well. Um, but yeah, that was the highlights in Serie A. Nice. And if we do have time, we might have to find it. We will talk about the UCL draw. The Champions League draw was made today and talk about which ties we're looking forward to there. Diego Simeone returning to the San Siro is going to be absolutely beautiful, I think. Um, But let's start in the Premier League and let's start. Should we just get it out of the way because it was terrible? Um, Let's start with Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil. Um, I think we were talking about it on the group chat chat last night, Adam, and you summed it up pretty Mm. perfectly with... Is this just a case of who has been the worst team? Um, I'm going to say the worst team was Liverpool because I think they were, and I think Roy Keane nailed it. I think they were Mm. arrogant coming into the game. I think every chance I saw, it looked like they felt, oh, there'll be another chance. There'll be another chance. Don't worry. We'll get another chance. And then all of a sudden it's the 87th minute and you might not get another chance. And they realise they've just wasted the entire game. Um, But Ben, I'm going to go to you first. Which side do you think was worse and why? Oh, 100%. I think I think you're completely right. I think Liverpool came kind of came into the game with that level of expectation that they were just going to kind of wipe the floor with Man United. And United defended pretty well, and they do deserve credit for that. But you just felt as if Liverpool, if they upped it by 10 20%, they would have won that game quite comfortably. Um, I thought many of kind of their star attacking players especially did not fire. I thought Salah had a really, really poor game. I thought it looked even worse when they kind of went to almost a weird 4-4-2 shape in the second half where it was him and Nunes up front. Nunes was completely off it again. That's 10 yeah. now without a goal, which I mean, like he he obviously does bring more than that. And I quite like Darwin Nunes, but he just offered absolutely nothing. Um, I thought Diaz was pretty quiet, although he was mm-hmm. probably the better of the three in the first half. Um, Trent, I thought was pretty sloppy but grew into the game and was probably going to be the one in the second half that had something was going to have something to do with it if they did mm-hmm. kind of turn the screw and get the win. But Liverpool have got to look at themselves. And it was almost just like, I was quite disappointed a bit with Van Dijk's interview after the game because it was almost just yeah. obvious kind of deflection tactics from their poor performance, especially at Anfield. It just felt, Gary Neville mentioned it a few times in commentary about how flat the atmosphere was. Bear in mind, Liverpool had an extra 7,000 fans in their game. Yeah, yeah. As you have with the new stand and you know I've kind of been banging the drum for a long time about the Anfield atmosphere and how overrated it actually is but that's a whole other point <laughs> the performance was equally as flat it, it was just like it was just they almost strolled up thinking yeah this United side kind of a due a bit of a battering you know we've the 7-0 last year kind of fresh in their minds and even in the first half like I remember the game last year where Liverpool didn't score the first goal until like the 38th minute or something mm-hmm. that Gakpo goal and it always felt as if Liverpool, if they got one, then they the floodgates would probably open. But 
United were probably the team that had the better chances. I mean, Canate had that one mm. where if it had fallen to any other player, he probably would have scored. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Hoyland, uh, Garnacho had a chance as well. There was one, another one with Hoyland where Rashford cut it back and Hoyland just completely missed it, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think they actually even showed a replay of. But that was quite, a, that was a great chance. Um, I'm still a lot of concern for Man United uh, because they were very toothless, but they went there with a game plan and, you know, it kind of, it paid off. And Liverpool should definitely be the team that, have, I mean, Liverpool naturally would feel the most disappointed, but, their performance mm. wasn't. It's mm. not as if you know. It was one of those ones where if you ha- if you didn't watch the game, you probably would have expected Anana to kind of pull it out of his ass and have like a worldie and keep it a nil nil. But that wasn't the case at all. He kind no. of made two saves, maybe mm. that one, mm. and even they were both for the cameras. Like the Van Dyke header one that he tipped over the bar, and then there was one in the second half from Salah where he curled it towards yeah. the corner. But yeah, it was flat, very flat from Liverpool, and I think is a massive cause for concern for them kind of going into the rest of the season. I thought their midfield was dreadful. And that just makes me think, like, I've kind of labelled Liverpool as title contenders since, this, the, not maybe the start of the season, but like the first, since maybe September. But that midfield, you think ahead to that Arsenal fixture at the weekend, Declan Rice is probably looking at that thinking, I can probably handle these three on my own, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where they massively struggled. Yeah, I think it says a lot that Man United were able to run through their midfield. When Man U did get the ball and did get breaks, mm. they went through pretty much unopposed, right? It was pretty yeah. mad to watch. But one of my pet peeves, honestly, is a footballer or a manager coming out and complaining about how another team played. If it's not yeah. like violence, yeah. if you know what I mean, if it's they came here to defend and get a point, okay, cool. That's within their rights. That was their game plan. It's your job. It's a coin a Roy Keane phrase. It's your job to break it down, right? It really annoyed me that Van Dyke, um, that Van Dyke interview. I just thought, it's, what you can't expect every team to just play how you want to play and like yeah. you have the points. Of course, man, you were just going to put like eleven behind the ball. But Adam for Man United, as Ben said, mm-hmm. they did defend quite well. I think Varane mm-hmm. stood out. He added a lot of um, experience to that back line. Made some decent blocks. Johnny Evans looks like he yeah. had a really good game, but he looks like he's tired. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. I think collectively they did defend quite well, but they still allowed 30 odd shots on their goal. Right. Um, do you think Man United get credit or is it just Liverpool's profligacy in front of goal? I, I think there's a combination of both because mm-hmm. if you think about the kind of back shot of, they had Bayern Munich as well. Um I think that's, by the way, guinea pig, right? guinea pigs in here. Yes, there's some <laughs> guinea pigs. Invaded who are by aliens. I don't know going what was going on. Crazy. I don't know what the fuck is going on here. Um, so, yeah. Brilliant. Um, so, my train of thought. Now, we'll go back to Man United. Um, yeah, for some reason, if you think back to how Bayern Munich, the game planned out versus this Liverpool game, I thought they actually did quite well to contain Liverpool to the best, you know, and you didn't see the best of Salah, for example, on that left-hand side. I mean, certainly there's a few times where I was just expecting him to do something different rather than try and take on his man and try and come on the inside. I think, like Ben alluded to, they really did kind of struggle to kind of implement something different up the top. Um, But looking at how Man United implemented it, it was just to absorb as much as they could. They did quite well considering the personnel they had available. It was just disappointing on that kind of counter-attack that they kind of didn't find those decisive passing moments. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Hoyland, for all his effort, really did struggle to get a foot in this game. Anthony, I thought, had one of his better games for Man United. I know <laughs> well, this is he such a strange thing. He was dog shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like... And <laughs> that lot as well contributed quite a lot in this game as well. So, um, yeah, 
I'm going to go off mute now because they're clearly winding you guys up. <laughs> There's something well, going on, with and the I'm going to try and calm them down. They so might, they might just be mad Man United fans. Maybe they're disagreeing. <laughs> yeah, with what I, say. Is, I have no yeah. idea. Yeah. Again, uh, mad at Van Dyke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might be sticking up for Anthony. At least someone is. Um, no, I thought there was a moment where I think maybe it was was it Hoyland or Rashford when. Anthony didn't put the ball across, and you could see the visible. I think it was Rashford. You could see the visible frustration on him. Like yeah. Jesus Christ, can you not just do one thing? I think like with a winger, and I think Roy Keane basically said the same in the studio, where he was like, "If you had a functional winger there, someone who was able to get that end product, United would have put them to the sword, right?" Because that Hoyland yeah. chance, as you said, was the moment there for them to win it. Yeah, hundred percent. They um, I thought it's weird. It's weird one with Anthony because I thought defensively he was brilliant. Like he mm. doubled up with Anthony really well. Sorry, with Dallow really well down that side. But it's just his indecisiveness and decision making in the final third that let United down massively. There was a there was a there was that one chance that you mentioned as well that he should have put it across to Rashford. And there was also another break where they had like a three on two, mm-hmm. and he tried a pass with the outside of his boot to slip it through to Hoyland. And it just went straight to Canate or Van Dijk who just ran onto it and intercepted it. And it was just like, mate, you're not like... Again, he does. He deserves credit because he did work really hard in the game. And that's something I've been pretty critical of Anthony mm-hmm. of. And I think he was up for it and he defended pretty well with Dallow. But just the, the end product in the final third, which is what he was bought for, is just like was poor. At least he didn't go hiding. And I don't. I, I think that's one thing I've been very critical of Man United with this season and and a bit last season, but far more so this season. And I think it's maybe partly because Bruno Fernandes wasn't on the pitch. Mm-hmm. But there wasn't many there wasn't any players that hid in that game. And mm-hmm. they all kind of I think to be to their credit, they all kind of showed up to be counted for. I thought Garnacho in the first half worked hard. I thought he kind of he didn't get much change out of Trent really, but he was putting in the effort. I thought Mainu was a standout again. Yeah. Um, very good. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean you think of the kind of the games that he's been thrusted into at the start of his United career, Everton away Newcastle away and Liverpool away, you're probably not going to find three fiercer grounds maybe to go mm-hmm. to as a young player and kind of um, impose yourself on the team. And I thought he did really well um, there. Luke Shaw, I thought was really good as well. Salah, I thought he had Salah in his pocket in the first yeah. half. Um, really, really good. He's, Luke Shaw is just one of their like he's one of their best players. He has been for years now. Like he's, he's just very consistent. I think I feel like he's just quite consistent. He just yeah. you, you get you get a certain level of performance from him, and he's experienced now. And it seems like Touchwood his injury concerns are kind of behind him a bit. He's mm. starting to get a little bit more consistent. So I think mean, that's that's really good to see. But before we move on, we do need to talk about the red card. Um, <laughs> I was really relieved to see it's not just Arsenal players that get booked twice within five seconds. Um, but Adam. Do you think it was harsh? I was really confused as to what happened, but I also kind of think Dallow was an idiot. Yeah, I I thought at the time, I thought you're an idiot for trying to give back mouth to any referee, regardless of Mm -hmm. what's happened, whether you feel it's the right decision or not. You kind of go, oh, for fuck's sake, and just crack on, right? Uh, That would be my approach anyway, but clearly he must have said something to have really got a a second yellow or I don't know if it was a straight red. I don't know if it actually was a I think it was a red, second yellow. It was second two yellows yellow. for it's dissent be, twice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So he called so... him the C word twice or something. I don't know what he did, but it happened. Yeah. There's a there's a really great moment in commentary as well where Gary Neville was like, what does dissent twice mean? And Carrigo was like <laughs> That he did it twice. <laughs> it's <was just, laughs> brilliant, brilliant commentary. They were having a great time because the game was terrible. Um, yeah. But yeah, Ben, what were your reflections on it? Because it feels like these rules kind of get implemented 
as and when the refs want. And it was Michael Oliver who did it to Martinelli as well. So is this a yeah. rule that he is creating? I don't know. It's so, it is such a weird one. I was more on the side of I thought it was actually quite harsh. But mm. I think I the reason I think it's harsh is because of the inconsistency of it rather than anything. Like I think referees kind of came out at the start of the season and kind of had their hit list of things they were going to crack down on and try and stamp out the game, which is completely fair play. And I think Descent is one of those that does really need to be taken seriously when you look at other sports as well. Rugby, for example, like the way that there is the respect for the officials there that there necessarily isn't in football. And I know football's maybe more of a, you kind of trace it back, it's more of a kind of a working man's game and all this kind of stuff. Like I get that there's going to be more kind of ferocity in football and especially a game like that you know where it is really high stakes United have kind of held out for such a long time and the decision was so obviously the wrong way even though I don't think Oliver probably would have seen it and obviously the lines don't the line is on the other side so it's just one of them but I don't think it necessarily warranted that strong a reaction from Dallow although I thought it was a little bit harsh but again I think mm-hmm. it's just the inconsistency of it like we saw in the it's not quite the same but like it's the whole thing about waving a yellow card now is supposed to be a yellow, but you see that every single week players do it. One player will get booked for it and one player doesn't. Like yeah, yeah. Ryan Yates on Friday night gets a doggy booked in the first half for a 50-50 shoulder-to-shoulder challenge, starts waving the card around. Um, Jared Gillett buckles, gives him the yellow, but nothing for Yates. And it's just that kind of inconsistency with, I know that's not technically dissent, but yeah, yeah. there are these kind of minor things in football that they're trying to be so big on but they're missing every other one that actually happens. And I think there was so many other examples from this weekend. I know we'll probably talk about West Ham in a bit, but like, look at like Kufal. Like, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. But yeah. like the, the, the descent thing is a, is a big issue. And I think it's good that, like I said, I thought it was quite harsh at the time, but I think on reflection, it's probably one of those things that I don't mind it. I've got no problem with it. If they're going to, that's going to be, that's the bar now. That's kind of the tolerance mm-hmm. level. If, if that happens again, I want to see another red card for it because otherwise I think it's pretty pointless yeah, doing yeah. it because yeah. you see it happen all the time. But yeah, it's pretty naive from Dallow, especially because I thought he was having such a good game. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because he was like, I do think there's an element of which, like the first one, if you get booked for one, I do like, I kind of feel like a yellow card was probably fair. He didn't need to keep going at him. But again, like no. how many times have you seen that? It was a tricky one, but prob- probably the right thing in the end, I think. Yeah, I think like, it, it, yeah, exactly. It was just the. It's just a bit naive from him, isn't it? It's just, if if you've been booked once, just shut up and yeah. take it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I know it was a United throw-in. It was, like, Dallo was in the right. But you've still got to just be a bit more disciplined than that. But let's leave that game there. And we're going to stay in Manchester, um, or with the Manchester teams. City slip again, and Roy is delighted. Now, I don't know if you saw this video clip at the end of Roy Hodgson just smiling <laughs> so as good. Guardiola fucking loses his shit. I've <laughs> screenshotted it. It's just a great reaction meme potential in that picture, I think. Yeah. Um, absolutely beautiful photo. Now, this is a game. I saw City went 2-0 up, and I was working Saturday. I was busy. Saw City were 2-0. I was like, okay, well, that game's done. Checked my phone at like 8 o'clock at night, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. It finished 2 all. How the hell did that happen? Um, ben, I'm going to start with you. Man City slip again, but Palace there. Why do City keep letting these leads go? They just can't quite... They've got one win in six in the Premier League now. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? And it's, it's one of those things where if it was any other club, you'd kind of be getting the word crisis banded about. Um... But, you know, City for City, De Bruyne's return is kind of on the horizon. So they've got that to look forward to. But for now, it kind of feels like it's a weird one with that game because they've had other games this season where they've not, uh, they've either gone in front and not held on to a lead 
where they have been quite sloppy maybe um, or haven't been that good in the game or good value. Obviously, I didn't watch the full game, but kind of uh, from a picture from the extended highlights and from what people are saying, and if you look at the stats, like City was so comfortable. Mm-hmm. They were so comfortable in the game. Went 2-0 up, creating chance after chance. Dean Henderson had a really good game in goal. Um, I've been pretty ske- uh, sceptical of uh, Dean Henderson. I thought I think Sam Johnson's the better keeper. I can't remember. Yeah. I think Johnston went off injured against Liverpool, didn't he? Yeah, the last game. Um, yeah, yeah. So exactly. he had to. Yeah. So he had to come in for that, and he had a really, really good game. Um, but yeah, City just not this inability to close out games is becoming a problem, and it's not just against top teams either. Like you know, obviously they've gone to Arsenal and kind of huffed and puffed, and that was a bit of a strange game. Obviously against Tottenham, they kind of threw the lead away. Um, they've gone away and lost at Wolves, which at the time kind of felt a little bit like although City had full dominance in that game as well Wolves were sort of on the turn of like you know in the aftermath after what Wolves did to a few other teams that didn't feel like a terrible one for City but I think this is one especially at home where they'll look at that and think that's massive like huge points dropped as well and I think for someone like the way the manner in which it happened as well because that Mateta goal was basically the first chance that Palace actually had although you could say that Palace could have felt very hard done by because Edison was very lucky to still be on the pitch in the first half, and that could have been a completely different game. Yeah. Um, and then to give the penalty away in that kind of manner as well just shows that, like, is it, um, you know, the word kind of mentality gets banded around way too much in football these days. And I think City have shown that they are the team who have had the best mentality over the last four or five years in the Premier League to kind of keep going and going again. Um, but it's just really uncharacteristically sloppy from City. And um, I don't really know. I mean, obviously, they've got a bit of a break now. Uh, Club World Cup, they're not back until the 27th. So they've got a bit of a break from the Premier League. Um, so it'll be interesting is, to see how they come back. Like, do they need a tournament in Saudi Arabia now? Do they really need that? I feel like this is something no. that's just going to be a distraction. And like the whole time, they're going to be waiting to correct their form in the competition they actually care about, which is the Premier League. And this whole thing might feel... Now, obviously, you can argue about how competitive the games are going to be that they're going to play. I think they're playing the Japanese team. Um, I can't remember who. I apologise, but coming up. Um, But the whole time, they're just going to be thinking about that next Premier League game. Um, But we do have to say, yeah, Phil Foden giving away the penalty was incredibly stupid. Um, I think it's the first time he's completed 90 minutes. It feels like the first time in a very long time. Maybe that's why. Um, but Crystal Palace did get back into the game, Adam. Um, yep. It's still five games without a win for Palace. So it's still concerning. But do you think this is a type of performance or result that can get a little bit of momentum? Because Mateta is clumsy and chaotic, but when he comes on, he often makes an impact. And with a player like Michael Olise, who was meant to go to City, um, there's a feeling that they, they mm. do you think this could be a, a start of them turning it around a bit? It's hard to say with this Palace side, especially where if you look at their record this season, they're better away from home. So where they're struggling at the moment is definitely at Selhurst Park at the moment. But I also think ultimately it is that kind of they haven't really filled the void of Saha, where he was not only kind of a contributor, but he was also a goal threat for Palace, and he contributed the goals in addition to their forward line, whoever it be. Um, so I think they are missing someone that they could potentially go and target. I don't know who that would be, though, because I think there's a lot of speculation still about Elise and where he could potentially go, despite the fact that he did sign that contract with uh, Parish more recently before the start of the season as well. So 
I, I just feel like at the moment this is probably something I foresaw. I like because mm-hmm. based on the fact that their form away from home is much better. And I think what they did was they just played it more directly, exploited City in terms of that clinical aspect, but also the fact that, you know, defensively they are quite shoddy. And I think what they are missing is that Gundogan effect of someone that can just sit in front of that defence. And I know at the moment they are having question marks around the fitness of Johnny Stones, which I think is pivotal at this stage. I know they've tried to encourage the likes of Akanji to play that role. But yeah, I think they're struggling. We we mentioned, I think, in our group chat about Ruben Diaz and how his kind of form has dipped massively as well. So he's not the solid, reliable centre-back. And I think, again... What Foden did was just naive. He just forgot where he was at that very moment and he shouldn't be really like slamming his feet in the way mm-hmm. that he did. So unfortunately, it was just a blatant penalty. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of worries at the City camp and I think Kovacic hasn't worked out for them either. Um, a lot of big concerns He's at the moment. Speaking like to a City one, friend, he's saying that they feel as a crowd at the Etihad that he's just too slow. He's just yeah. not on the same level as the other players. And I think they're probably, there's a lot of rumours about Paulinha in uh, Fulham potentially being lined up. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me that they get a go for someone as well in addition to that because they need someone that is going to be that clinical aspect. What yeah. they're still kind of looking forward to is potentially entertaining another bid for Paqueta. And we'll probably go on to his performance later. But I think that could be a solid shout. Um, but one just to throw in the ring, I think they should try and uh, put all their money into Musiala if they can try and persuade yeah. him from buying. I mean, if they couldn't get you know Jude, that would be the kind of perfect other option, really, for me. So, lots to work on, but I think alluding to your point about going now into this tournament, that's going to be used as the opportunity for Kevin De Bruyne to get his fitness ahead of mm. this kind of second half of the season. So despite the fact that they're probably, they they don't really care as a fan base about this tournament. They're just there because they could be another badge on the sleeve and that's it. Um, yeah, ultimately, it's all about getting that fitness and Calvin Phillips looks like he's going to be off as well. So yeah, potentially, they're just going to play a lot of kids alongside some of the more kind of veteran players, I, I feel, mm-hmm. for this tournament. And then we'll see what happens in the second half of the season. But I can imagine Pep is going to try and get a few bodies for the second half of this season. Well, Man City with and with a bit of anger is always a scary thing. And I'm yeah. always, I'm not even slightly counting them out at this point because I know they're going to win 26 games in a row and just kill all our dreams. But we're going to leave the game there. Um, Michael Olise, just so, so stone cold with that penalty at the end. I absolutely oh. love the bloke. Um, but we're going to go for... Um, let's move on to, if I can find the banner, where did I put it? Aston Villa 2, Brentford <laughs> 1, Martinez and Mopai. Now, all these, I was thinking about this, these are two players who are intrinsically linked in their lives, right? Because Mopai is the reason that Leno was injured, that got Martinez his start, that won the FA Cup, that got him called into the Argentina team, that made him a World Cup winner, that meant that he had sex with a glove in front of the world stage <laughs> and now finds himself as one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. But Martinez shows no great gratefulness towards Mopai. Um <laughs> This is my favorite, honestly, watching it on Match of the Day. I hadn't really heard anything or been on Twitter, so I just wasn't expecting it. And then all of a sudden, Mopai's running into Martinez and Martinez dragging him by the shirt. Yeah, it's just one of the funniest things so I've funny. ever seen. It was so, 
so good. But I didn't realize these two teams hated each other this much. Like Adam, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of like niggly tackles, a lot of sly digs, a lot of animosity, right? Yeah, there was quite a bit of it. Um, I don't know where it's necessarily driven from because I don't remember this in the championship being kind of a feisty game, mm. to be honest. But um, I think obviously the uh, little element of Ollie Watkins as well played a part in terms of how the rest of the game kind of panned out in terms of yellow cards dishing out and potentially that kind of action with Martinez and Malpe as well, to be fair. Um, and I'm glad that Ollie Watkins came out at the end mm-hmm. and actually explains the rationale between behind his kind of why he was shushing that particular fan as well. So I think that's you wouldn't get that from a, most footballers. I don't think they necessarily would be having the balls to kind of do that interview. So I think that was really, really refreshing. But in terms of the game, it was so exciting. I, I wish I was there personally because I'm surprised it didn't get kind of bumped up in terms of mm. match of the day as well because that was the game to watch. It was again Villa was so, so full of like energy as well in terms of the way they went about it, and Brentford just being Brentford at the moment. They're mm-hmm. they're really like down in terms of numbers at the moment, missing Embuemo now as well. So. You know, I bet they cannot wait for Ivan Tony to turn up in January now. Uh, they must be desperate for that to happen. But, um, you know, it was a great game. It was a great game. And Villa really took to him. And, you know, they've got the uh, performance over the line in the end because I don't think it was an easy game by all accounts. But, um, yeah, they managed to scra- scratch out that result. And, um, yeah, they move on. No, well, this is it, exactly. And I think it's showing, like, Ben, I'm going to go to you. It's showing aside from Villa, like, they didn't score until the 77th minute, right? Alex Moreno, who's been incredible for them when he's played. Good to see him fit at the back post to get the header. And then Ollie Watkins late on, of course. But this is showing a, a lot of, like, fight within the Villa team, right? This isn't, like, a, a lucky run they're going on. This isn't just a purple patch. This is a team that are fighting to the end of every game and making sure they get results. Like, we have to talk about them in the title race now. They are second place, one point behind Arsenal on the same points as Liverpool, or third place now, sorry, um, but one point behind Arsenal on top. They are genuine title contenders, and that is a win that you look at and you go, okay, you didn't play well, or you didn't play as well as possible, but you got the win. That's what champions do, right? Yeah, exactly. And there's a good chance as well they could end next weekend top. I think they play on mm-hmm. Friday night against Sheffield United at home, which you'd expect them to win. And then if you look ahead to Liverpool Arsenal, there's a good chance that could potentially be a draw mm-hmm. as well. So that those circumstances would leave Villa top going into Christmas, which would be incredible, incredible. for Emery. Yeah. Um, but like you said, like they've showed their team has got like a brilliant balance of quality and grit. When you look at someone like John McGinn and then maybe you look at someone like Douglas Louise, who I think those two players kind of exemplify that a lot. They've got so much quality on the ball, but you know, in terms of the way they fight for the team, especially McGinn. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a real kind of gritty performance from Villa. They kind of ground it out. You know, they took their moment and seized it when that red card for Ben Mee came, um, which again, like I'm not a hundred percent sure about. I'm not, I know like you could probably file Ben Mee in, in that kind of, not that kind of player category, but it doesn't really mean that much. I thought it was a little bit harsh. Maybe I don't know whether that's controversial. But... I thought it was about as stonewall the red as I'd seen. I was like, really? I couldn't believe Thomas yeah, Frank was trying to do I the whole I've not seen it. I was like, mate, that is, he comes flying in. Yeah. I thought it that was the showing. Yeah. It, yeah, it probably was. Fairly nailed on. 
it probably yeah. was. I, I just I don't know whether it's because I'm being uh, kind of blinded by the Ben Me thing because I think he's a really he's good player. Like okay. nice, yeah, nice. called out yeah. the Burnley fans for being racist. I'll always like him. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was a bad tackle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. it's because I think maybe it's because Bailey didn't go down. I think he mm-hmm. looked. It didn't look as bad as yeah, it actually yeah. probably was. Yeah, I think, yeah. which is probably why. But you know, but but after that kind of Villa kind of seized that opportunity and and, and picked their moment and. Um, they did their best to kind of throw it away at the end as well. That Leon Bailey back pass was something. Wow. That was one of the most... That If something sums up that the Premier League season so far, it was that. Like, yeah. that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and the follow-up as well, right? Oh, exactly. And that, that's kind of where the whole, like, Martinez and Mope thing started, wasn't it? With that yeah. as well. It was very funny. Um, and obviously Watkins... Again, they've just got these players that are just popping up in the big moments. And mm-hmm. Watkins, I love that from him. Like, that was brilliant because it's like... Mm-hmm. The way he spoke after the game, it was like, I've, you know, I've got so much respect for Brentford as a club. I think yeah. he went over to Thomas Frank at the end of the game he or did. something. did, yeah, yeah, he did. And sort of said, look, like, it's not about Brentford. It's not about that. It was just that one person was giving me a lot of personal grief. And, mm-hmm. you know, footballers for, you know, for all the money that they earn, aren't, they're still people at the end of the day. And they have every right to reply. And uh, you kind of almost like, it looks better. It's, it's almost rather than do it. Because they must get, you see the amount of shit they get on like social media. To actually be able to do that in person, just to score a goal, to vindicate, it was, it was so, so good. And then the uh, reporter on Match of the Day asked one of the stupidest questions I think I've ever heard when he asked him, would you do that again? And he's like, well, what? If he gave me the abuse again, he was like, oh, 100%, I'd do it a thousand yeah. times over. And it's just like, well, what did you think he was going to say? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But as well, like, you know, for all of Emmy Martinez's kind of theatrics, if that's the best way to describe it, um, mm. You've got a goalkeeper there that has kind of been there and done it, whether it's for Arsenal in the FA Cup and on the bigger stage, obviously, that World Cup win was a year ago today. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a massive, massive part of that for them. And he's, uh, he's one of those people that uh, I'm good friends with a Villa fan. And she sort of said that, like, if it, um, he's one of those players where if he plays for your club, you love it. If he played for any other club, you'd absolutely hate him. Yeah. But yeah. I think you've kind of got to respect the probably the two biggest masters of shithousery in the Premier League going up against each other on <laughs> yesterday. This is it. Um, we are seeing new levels of like it's never been seen before. I absolutely love him just for the entertainment value he brings. And like it's just pantomime, isn't it? Exactly. Like, I know exactly. it's a pantomime season, but like it's just yeah, you exactly. love shit like that. Exactly, because even against Arsenal, he was playing the bollocks. But you know that's what he's going to do. So you just have to stand there and be like, yeah, fair play. He is yeah. not being anything other than himself. Um, no. And I think he's just brilliant. So yeah, Aston Villa is so... He's also a very, very good goalkeeper. Like, it's also amazing. Mm, like, he yeah. can back it up with his performances. So I think, yeah, fantastic to see him. Villa still absolutely flying. Um, and I think we're going to move on from that. And we're going to go... Um, I'm going to talk about Arsenal actually winning. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do it. Let's go for um, Brighton had scored in 31 games conse- consecutively before this game. Um, I think they had managed to get one shot, which was a terrible miss from Pascal Gross and definitely let us off the hook. But I think this is one of the most dominant performances I've seen from Arsenal this year. Um it was just fantastic. I think Martin Odegaard is starting to get back to form. Um, the pass... Mm-hmm that he plays through for Bakayo Saka for a chance that Martinelli oh, puts yeah. over the bar. Yeah, that that is goodness. one of the best passes I've seen in uh, this season. Um, so it's great to see him flying. But I just need to talk about Declan Rice. Every so often I smile and remember he plays for us. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I still cannot believe it. Every game he's just hitting 
incredible levels. And this is another game where he just ran that midfield against a Brighton mm -hmm. team and deserved to be said it after the game as well. We're used to dominating games. We're used to having the ball. We're used to being able to control the game. We were not able to do it here. And Declan Rice is pretty much the reason. And I think the point swing that we're seeing this year from last year is basically down to him. Um, the mm. fact that we're able to control games and dominate games more is because of him. Um, and I think every day I think about, fuck, what if Man City had just bought him? <laughs> like the title race would be done by now. <laughs> like it would be done already. Um, but Adam, I'm going to go to you. Um, Declan Rice, do you love him as much as me? Have you been as, as impressed by him? <laughs> I think I'm starting to appreciate him even more with every game that goes past because like just the way he kind of covers the whole of midfield, mm -hmm. it's not just one area, it's not one pocket and it's just not just one attribute of his game, is it? It's the kind of aspects of he'll break up the play, but then decide to go on a run and mm -hmm. then pass it on or, you know, assist or whatever it be. He just seems to dominate in so many different ways and it's that kind of aspect that we kind of saw him developing at West Ham, but he's just showing it on a grander scale almost at Arsenal. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of being that final jigsaw piece for Arsenal now, kind of allowing you to kind of look at other areas of the pitch where you need to maybe kind of recitify or maybe make even better, right? And it just feels like at this moment in time, that game kind of personified the little bits that Arteta tried to implement in the summer and they're starting to flourish now. So you had not just Rice, but you had Kai Havertz coming to his own. Odegaard kind of displaying, as you alluded to, this kind of form that we know is there. Um, across the pitch, though, you know, Gabriel Jesus had a solid performance. Mm -hmm. The back two in the centre-back position were really good. Sinchenko had a better game. All over the pitch, it was really assured. And I think the kind of best analogy for this game was you out deserved Brighton because Brighton mm -hmm. do that to other teams and you actually did something that they weren't too sure how to respond to that. And they had so many poor performances because they didn't know what to do in those situations. They probably, on the training pitch, there's a classic kind of um, aspect that I did read on where Zerbi has moments in training where he goes, this is going to happen in a match. And he plans this out quite articulately, but obviously I, I suspect they were all in shock. They didn't know what to do at those very moments. And I think it just goes to show that Arteta really did think out how this game was going to play out. And he had the players at the right time, right moments, and they played it out magnificently. So yeah, I suppose it just opens up that opportunity of where do Arsenal need to improve on? Mm -hmm. And going forward, I suspect it's just having a more prolific striker now. It feels yeah. like that's where you just need to get that final person potentially in January. No, well, fingers crossed. And I have mm. to say, Ben, I'm going to kind of try to make you speak positively about Arsenal. I apologise. But Kai Havertz, um, I think he now has more goals, uh, more open play goals this season than Chelsea do, uh, which is just <laughs> a fantastic stat. Um, he's now on five goals this season. It's a bit mad, considering September and October were very, very bad months for him, right? November was starting to get a bit better. Well, November, he was our player of the month, which is mental. It's it is impressive how Arteta has managed to get him used to this role relatively quickly and he's starting to really flourish in it, right? Yeah, 100%. It looks like he's kind of almost... It feels as if he's playing in the same position as he was when it was kind of the transfer was first mooted and it mm -hmm. was like he's going to be that number eight, which I think a lot mm -hmm. of people were a little bit sceptical of. And obviously, he it didn't, it didn't see anything at the start of the season to suggest that was going to be a success. But 
it almost feels like Arteta's tweaked it and given him a little bit less responsibility on the ball and a little bit more freedom off it. Um, mm. And I think mm. that's where Havertz kind of thrives. You saw him at Chelsea and uh, by Leverkusen, it's almost those third man runs where he kind of comes into his own. And, you know, he's such a presence that if you kind of like, and his movement is so good, that's one of the reasons why Chelsea brought him into the Premier League. And I don't think anyone ever doubted that. It's really tricky. He was kind of, he sort of, um, I think he fell victim to like the Harry Maguire thing of just like a few bad, like if you mm. put together a compilation of Havertz's worst bits from this season, it'd look really bad, but that just completely ignores a lot of the good stuff that he also did. I, I thought he stood out as one of your better players at Aston Villa last week. I thought mm-hmm. it took yeah. Zinchenko too long, I think, to figure out that Havertz was always making that run in behind in kind of that left channel for yeah, Arsenal, yeah, yeah. Um, and I th- where I think Villa were vulnerable. Um, and I think there's a good... Um, there's a good chance of saying that two months ago Havertz probably doesn't have the confidence to I know that finish didn't quite come off as he, I think he thought he meant it I think he tried to dink the keeper and it's almost ended up going perfectly in the bottom corner um, but he probably doesn't have the confidence to try that like a month or so yeah. ago and uh, he's been pivotal for Arsenal in kind of this this um, this run of games and it was it was much better from Arsenal like total kind of domination and I thought that's that was more like Arsenal of last season whereas I think Arsenal mm-hmm. have almost been a little bit more pragmatic's the wrong word I think but like it's almost it has been scaled back a little bit as you kind of um, tend to you know obviously Pep Guardiola we've seen it you have to tinker it's kind of adapt or die in the Premier League and that's how Arsenal if Arsenal are going to win the Premier League this season or next season maybe or in the next five years it's because of our it's because Arteta would have had to have changed something Mm -hmm. and I think um, Adam made a really interesting point about Declan Rice and I think it's almost what it's almost done is kind of highlight frailties in the Arsenal squad elsewhere because he's so strong and I think people are frailties is quite harsh but take someone like Gabriel Martinelli for example who Arsenal fans absolutely love and everyone can see it that he's such a quality player for his age as well but I think people are nitpicking so much over him now because you've seen someone like Rice come in obviously in a completely different position and make Arsenal kind of play in this different way and because of how good he is he stands out so much on a football pitch Rice I was fucking gutted when he went to Arsenal because he just knew nobody said anything about the price tag because it was just like yep yeah, 100, 100 million cool that makes sense like yeah, yeah. nobody said that Arsenal overpaid for him but I almost think his quality is kind of making other players not look quite as good as they were last season mm-hmm. um, but I think because I think I've seen a lot of Arsenal fans being quite critical of Martinelli's uh, finishing and obviously he had that amazing chance where Odegaard played that unreal pass with the outside of his foot to Saka who cut it back to Martinelli and there was, you know, we talked about it on the group chat while the Villa game was happening about Martinelli not quite being decisive or clinical mm-hmm. enough in those moments. And um be interesting to see. We'd seen Arteta, I mean, this is very harsh, but like we've seen Arteta kind of be ruthless in these situations before. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Arsenal. Do Arsenal need a striker? And it, like, is that the way that Arsenal are going to kind of take that next step up? But maybe it's elsewhere rather than that. Maybe it's like, I don't know. I think but not. I don't think there's a case to replace Martinelli for any by any. No, like, I, I think more hypercritical. I think of some of these players. Yeah, I think there's a space for having a backup, having another option. 100%. I think Trossard is the current backup at left wing, but he's not the same type of player as Martinelli. I also prefer mm-hmm. Trossard either as a striker or in the number eight. I don't really like him out wide. Yeah. Um, but I think there is a conversation to be had about we need another winger so we can rest either Saka or Martinelli. And just as much as I love Reese Nelson because he's a Hayland boy and he's had some great moments, he's still not quite the level that we need. Yeah. Maybe Emil Smith Rowe coming back in and having a few more minutes could we we could see him be a bit more prominent. But I think a winger is going to be on the list. But I think I think a striker is a bit more urgent because 
again, I love Eddie Nketiah, but he's just not the required level, unfortunately. Um, and if Awesome ends about, I would much rather have him. Um, <laughs> but we're going to leave Arsenal there for now, I think. Was there anything else I want to talk about? No, not really. Oh, Arteta got booked again for nothing. Um, but that seems to happen every single uh, every single match now. Um, let's move on to the last game I think we're going to talk about in the Premier League. Was there one more game we want to talk about? Oh, West Ham, very quickly, Pakita and Kudos. Two Pakita assists, Whoa. two Kudus goals. Um, West Ham have got a lot of quality in that team. And when they play well, they play very well. Ben, do you think they just need to be a bit more consistent? Because that was an incredible performance across the pitch. But Pakita is an absolute baller. He's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's quality. I was quite... Um, I don't know whether it's because like some players have kind of come from the French League and flattered to deceive in that kind of position or play like that kind of player where... You know, speaking from experience, someone like Ndombele, where you're supposed to get this flair player who's really good and it just doesn't work out. But so Pakata was one again, I was a little bit skeptical of, but I think I think many people were, but I think that kind of bias has got the better of a lot of people because he is brilliant. And I think there's an easy reason to see why um, Man City have been so keen on trying to get him in. And I think maybe if those kind of revelations didn't come out in the summer about the whole gambling stuff, I think Man City probably would have got that deal done. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see when they go back in for him. But they've added real quality, West Ham. It just kind of feels like at the moment, like you said, I think they're pretty inconsistent. I think um, the performances haven't quite been there, even in games they've won. But that felt so much better from West Ham yesterday. Mm-hmm. Like, Wolves have been a bit, you know, they've had that sort of purple patch where even when they weren't getting results necessarily, they were playing really well. But I do think there's been a little drop-off there as well. And I think they kind of took advantage of that. Because for all three goals, I think the second goal and the third goal in particular, it was so incisive from West Ham and really good um, playing the final third and really kind of, uh, you know, efficient finishing from Kudus and from Bowen. But they were so open wolves. It was quite yeah, uncharacteristic. Yeah. It was so, mm-hmm. like, they just passed. It was like a knife through butter. It was just a bit, felt a bit uh, lacklustre from them. Um, but West Ham took full advantage. I think there's just a section of the West Ham fans at the moment, and I'm not sure... If you were to get a percentage split, I don't know about how they feel about Moyes, but it does feel like... Moyes has done a brilliant job at West Ham and basically every every other club he's been at. He was obviously the full guy at Man United. No one's going to come in and be as successful. We saw it with Emery, after Wenger, that kind of thing. But he's achieved amazing things with West Ham, but it does feel like there is so much potential that's being sat on there that another manager that could potentially take them to another level... Mm -hmm. Um, I think the team might evolve beyond him. I think, I think there's a exactly, point where yeah, he's built the quality in that squad so yeah. much that they eventually need someone who can, like you were just saying, just take them to that next level. Because yeah. a friend of the show and one of my best friends, Tom, is a West Ham fan, and he always talks about just how sometimes how unambitious Moyes can be and yeah. how like so quick he is to just jump defensively and be like, right, shut up shop. And it's like, no, you need to trust the players you've got a little bit more and try and like impose yourself on games more. So I think eventually they will, and maybe it will be the end of the season, they will try and find a manager who can take them that extra step. But Adam, I'm going to go to you. Gary (laughs) O'Neill, should he feel aggrieved yet again at VAR? Do you feel, I know like Wolves were never really in this game, but do you think he was right to feel aggrieved about the Sufal one? Because for me, that's that's fair, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think he's just cursed. He must just go around the corners and just piss in the corner, I think, just to get this curse off because it doesn't seem anything's working for him. But yeah, I mean, there's that. Obviously, 
I felt really sorry for the goal that was chalked off as well. I thought, yeah. you know, when we're talking about a player's foot being marginally just bigger than the actual last man, that's where we're just really nitpicking. I know technically VAR's been nitpicking on little things, right? But that is just taking the mick now. Um, and I thought, you know, Cunha really did look exciting. He's a player that I'm starting to appreciate a lot more now. He just single-handedly tried to get Wolves back in the game. It was just scary how good he is. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I would not be surprised if there's a few more suitors for him. But yeah, Wolves were just unlucky on this day. They had an off day. Look, there was some really good performances from West Ham. We've got to say that as well. Like kudos, Mm -hmm. like you've got called out as well. so good. I'm just still baffled why there wasn't any bigger teams in for kudos. Because (laughs) like when it was with Brett Brighton and then he went there to West Ham. I mean, that's a brilliant bit of business brilliant bit of business but it sounds like it's something to do with his agent wanting more money yeah. that's what it yeah. ultimately was mm-hmm. the reason behind that deal and yeah i mean fair play to west ham they've uh shaked off the performance from fulham and they've moved into this with a win as well so um yeah the one thing i would say on wolves Neto looks like he's only a couple of days away from being mm. back in the squad so that's good. that might hopefully spirit them up the table because he was really critical in terms of being a threat but also the assist that he was creating was just yeah. insane so yeah we do yeah incredible performance from west ham and your wolves mm. i'm sure they will be fine but before we move on to the premier league we just have, move on from the premier league we just have to very quickly say our thoughts are with tom lockyer and his family we hope he is recovering well we hope to see him back on the pitch again horrible scenes but yeah see you again soon hopefully tom um our thoughts are with you mm. um let's go on to Serie A. adam we're going to start with the late Saturday night kick, Saturday night, Sunday night kickoff. Um, Inter, they weren't their most impressive, but they got the win. So is that, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, that's the sign of champions, isn't it? That's what they say. Um, Lazio really did do quite well to begin with in this match, but they kind of, I don't know whether it was just fatigues or just got tired of what they were doing, Um, but it kind of, I was almost justified with the video that I put out about Lazio where a lot of the issues that we started to see in this match were kind of replicated. Um, just just so strange as well because I was expecting kind of a really tougher match at home, especially as that's where their record is. They're, they're much better at home as well. And they had the crowd as well. They're booing a Cherby every time he touched the ball. Um, they made it uncomfortable for Inter. They just made sure that they didn't have enough time to kind of spiral or, you know, have any moments. And it was only about 40th minute mark when I think there was the first shot that went off a corner. And then uh, DeMarco tries to get, get Chanologu to kind of do the Skulls-esque kind of uh, corner routine, which would have been amazing to have seen again. But um, yeah, Inter did struggle, but they got themselves, thankfully with a goal in this match and you know Martinez ice cold as you kind of alluded to as well in this one I mean the way he takes it past Provida I thought he was going to miss it I'd be brutally yeah. honest I thought it was almost touching on like if that was me I'm definitely missing it <laughs> it's going, tell you like, what, you're not finding that ball again I'm <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. um but he manages to tuck it in quite nicely um and then the second one, just a through ball to Turam, who just has the ease of just tucking it away as well. So it was brilliant from that point of view, you know, 
these are the kind of wins that you want though sometimes where you don't necessarily play well but your key men kind of help you out and this was the thing even when they had substitutes come on to kind of see out the game they did their jobs they did their duties and Inzaghi must be really pleased going into this period as well mm-hmm. because that's what you needed just maintain that pressure especially given the context of Friday night Juventus have dropped points that is a few points buffer now for Inter Milan going into this period so Brilliant, um, but Sari again. I think he's pulling whatever remaining hair he's got at the moment because, yeah, I just don't know what he can do with that squad at the moment. Yeah, I feel like it's not really at his the the not much of the blame is at his feet at the moment. But but I want to talk about Lautaro and Turan because their record mm-hmm. in huge games and this is a ground that Inter have struggled at historically the last three seasons. I think they've lost away to Lazio, but now Lautaro has scored against Juve, got an assist against Milan, an assist against Napoli, a goal against Lazio, two against Fiorentina, one against Atalanta and one against Bologna. And Taram has got an assist against Juve, a goal against Milan, a goal against Roma, a goal against Napoli, a goal against Lazio, a goal and an assist against Fiorentina and an assist against Bologna. These are two players that are consistently turning up for turning up in the big games and making the difference. And Lautaro is now two goals away from breaking the record for the most goals for an interplayer in a calendar year. So Same. I think we might not see Chalanoglu on penalties for a while until <laughs> Lautaro gets that record. So I think he's going to be hunting it down. But he is just having the season of his life. And as we've said before, our doubt with Lautaro has always been consistency. It's always been, can you do it consistently over games? But he's really doing it this year and hitting new levels. Um, so incredible for Inter. And as Adam said, taking advantage of Juve dropping points, we were waiting. We've been waiting for the day that Juve only scoring one goal would bite them in the arse. And it finally came. They couldn't <laughs> get the job done. But one of their strikers scored. So ultimately, Ben, it's a good day, right? Finally, one of their strikers scored. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing is as well, like we've talked about Juventus and Inter obviously a lot in the sense that Inter have been the team that have been playing really well and Juve have been the team that kind of been grinding out out results. So from an Inter perspective, they were kind of due that kind of result where they weren't quite convincing, but they got it done. Whereas with Juve, we've always said that it kind of has felt like it's going to catch up with them at some point and where they are in the table doesn't necessarily reflect the quality that they actually have. Um, and yeah, it's kind of come back to come back to bite them in the end, um, mm. really. And I do think that kind of points towards their, you know, this is obviously probably a two-team title race, but I just think that with the fact that Uve just, even though they've finally had one of their forwards actually get on the score sheet uh, for the first time in what's felt like a while, um, does feel like they just don't quite have that conviction of maybe Inter who do really look like a top side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the I think it was the Corriere della Sport put had their front their front page was a picture of Chiesa Vlavic and then a picture of Gatti, and it was like, why can't you be like Gatti? Basically, it was like <laughs> yeah. you need to be scoring goals like this guy. But Adam, the the guy who got the goal for you know a Goodmanson, um, mm-hmm. Giladino doesn't want people talking about him, but it's another goal for him. No. No, it's, he's making it hard, isn't he, for Giladino to make sure the attention isn't on him because you suspect, given the context of this 7-7 group as well and mm-hmm. the fact that they there's not great financial stability with Genoa, I suspect if there's a club that needs a striker, they will target Genoa right now. And um, yeah, another great performance, to be fair. Um, they really did kind of show their worth. I thought, actually, did... Um, 
the second half substitution of Caleb Ekoban. He was mm-hmm. really kind of pivotal to why they e- equalised because it was his move. He kind of did what Osserman did against uh, Calgary, where he kind of juggles it up in the air with his head and gets it in the path of Goodwinson, who then tucks away delightfully past Chesney in the Juventus goal. Um, but just wanted to say on Juventus, they did look horrendously poor on this match. Like the commentary that was coming out of Juventus fans was just not pleasant, let's put it that way. Um, they weren't complimentary and Chiesa was actually the better player for them on the mm-hmm. day. If it wasn't for him, I don't think they scored a goal. I think potentially they missed a penalty or something stupid like that because um, Vlaovic doesn't have the confidence right now. No. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those that we kind of felt that it was going to come and um, surprisingly it happened on the kind of what we speculated, Rory, was maybe they kind of um, made these Friday fixtures in benefit of themselves, but clearly it's backfired on them. So um, let's see. Um, but yeah, um, great result for Genoa puts them yeah. back up because they haven't been on a great run of late. No, well, that's it. They, we, we we thought they were looking pretty safe and they've been slowly sliding down. They've mm. got one win in their last five, but that's a draw to kind of make it a little bit easier. They're still five points, no, four points clear of the relegation zone. So a big result against Juve definitely mm. won't do any harm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good to see Juve dropping points. Always happy about that. But let's move on to a much more interesting game. Um, and one, I really enjoyed this game. It was pretty terrible up until about a six-minute window, and then it all just kicked off <laughs> when Osserman decided he was just gonna he was gonna win the game. Um, an absolutely towering, towering header to take the lead. But then, in typical New Napoli style, they show zero um, solidity and let Cagliari score almost instantly to level the game. Um, Lovumbo coming off the bench for Cagliari, a player who I've been super excited about. He mm. came on and really changed it for Cagliari, really put a lot of pace and energy into that attack, um, a bit more incisiveness and caused Napoli problems across the game. But I'm just holding off on talking about that incredible bit of just magic from Osman. Now, there was a clip of him playing in a five-a-side game in... Nigeria, I think it was, it, like in a season break. And he was doing all this against his mates in seven aside, because of course he was just knocking the ball about, juggling about. And loads of the comments on Twitter were like, okay, now do it in Serie A. Well, he's done it in Serie A, and he made those defenders look stupid. I think my favorite bit of it is when the ball does hit the ground, his touch to get past the defender is like the back heel behind him to turn is just genius. Like, Ben. It's not a kind of typical play we see from Osman. It's a lot of like power. There is technique, but seeing that level of flair and technique from him, it's really great to see, right? Yeah, I think you kind of saw the two sides of his game, or maybe mm. one of the sides of the game that not a lot of people thought that were there in kind of summed up in both of his goals. The first goal, the goal, sorry, both of the goals, the mm. uh, second one he laid on, obviously. Um, the first goal, kind of the brute force and the power with that header that even though the keeper got a very good hand on it, he still couldn't keep it out. Mm. And that's kind of, you know, what you'd maybe consider Osman's bread and butter in terms of if you were to watch a highlight reel, some of the finishes, some of the headers, how good he is in the air, how powerful, how strong, etc. But to show the kind of fleet of foot and the grace in the penalty area when he had four, three or four defenders around him to do that. And like you said, my favourite bit was exactly the same, where the juggling is impressive, but when he brings it down and manages to drag it back through his legs... Um, and yeah, what made me laugh about it as well was the fact that almost like Kravitzkalia did his best to miss it. 
He tried at, really hard to miss it. He tried really hard. Yeah, but absolutely smacks it against the post. He looks so relieved when that went in because could you imagine if that didn't result in a goal in the end? Because that yeah. that is almost like Puskas worthy from Osimhen. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, kind of highlighted a side of the game, side of his game that not many people maybe thought was there. But it was it was an amazing goal. And um, obviously, he's had a bit of a kind of tumultuous season. Napoli have kind of had a bit of a tumultuous season, but. He's back now, and yeah, to do that is just like I mean, every as if he wasn't on every club who's got a little bit of money's radar going into January in the summer. That's only just gonna watching that. That's just gonna add however much money on the value. Yeah, but that's an extra was, twenty million in it for De Laurentiis. He's got yeah. thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He'll be rubbing his hands together with that one. But he, um, yeah, he was he was excellent and. Like you said, they kind of did their best to try and throw it away, mm-hmm. and he was determined not to do that and drag them over the line. But it was incredible, incredible yeah. from us. Unbelievable, unbelievable moment. Um, I wanted to talk, Adam, about Mario Rui. He came off the bench, mm. and I think he made a real difference. Like I like Natan. I think he's made a pretty good start to life in Serie A. He still looks a little bit dodgy at times, but I think you could see when Mario Rui came on instantly they had much more incisiveness down that left wing, much more pace, much more danger. It's good. It was was just nice to see him back on the pitch doing things because I feel like it's been a while, right? Yeah, definitely. I think obviously Natan is still an experiment, which I don't Mm -hmm. think is going to come off personally. As much as he's got the pace to kind of play that kind of left-hand side, he's not really what I would kind of classify as a left-back. No. Mary Rui can do it. Obviously, we know he's experienced in that position. He did so really well. I think he grew last season under uh, Spalletti and he owned that left-hand side. And it was great to kind of see him kind of come from that left-hand side deep with a cross for that initial goal for Osimhen. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the Rui that we know of. And um, yeah, I mean, let's see more of it. I, I wonder if Mazzari will start having a rethink about whether Mary Rui has a future at the club because I think up until that point Mary Rui was probably contemplating his life outside of Napoli after yeah. this kind of January window I think he was contemplating moving on um, but we'll wait and see I think that obviously gives an opportunity for Mazzari to maybe reassess who he's got mm-hmm. now and Natan should always be a centre-back because no offence yeah. but Juan Jesus is not the option at centre-back <laughs> he's, so. he can't be long-term he no, cannot exactly. be long-term um, I'm really enjoying the fact that Anguissa seems to have a much more advanced role this in under Matsani. Yeah, I yeah. feel like he's pushing up much further than we ever saw him last year. Like he was incredible last year for Napoli, right? But he was very much that metronome holding play, mm. getting the second balls, kind of much more um conservative. We're really seeing him on the edge of the box now with like quick one-twos, trying to get balls into like trying to get assists, getting the odd shot. I'm really enjoying him see in a much more advanced role. I think he had a really good game as well. Um, so it was good to see that. But Adam, last question. Is it it is a concern for Napoli that Cagliari were able to just run straight through and score after they scored, right? Yeah. They still don't have that defensive stability. They have to get no. a goalkeeper. I know this goal wasn't Meret's fault, but I feel like it all kind of stems from not having a completely solid goalkeeper. I think it kind of highlights how big a miss Min Jae is, you know, mm. when they sold him to Bayern, I, they didn't really replace him. And that was always going to be difficult, but to kind of rely on a promising kind of centre-back like Natan and expect him to kind of fill the void was, yeah, 
typical De Laurentiis cheaping out, really, essentially. And unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be addressed in this window. Um, but yeah, it is a concern in terms of the way they're playing. And if they want to be in the top four, they need to address it as soon as possible. But I don't know. I don't get your thoughts on this. Mazzari doesn't kind of strike out as a person that really tackles the defensive issues. He's more, much more of a attacking-minded he- player or manager, should I say. Yeah, I don't think he really cares about the defensive side. No, of the game. exactly. He's very much more just let's try and score and see what happens. I think, but obviously they do have injuries in, in defense at the minute as well, and it is kind of patched together. But yeah, I, I found it really, really worrying that there was just that lapse of concentration as well. A lot of it is concentration and just just allowing Calgary to run straight through. But I think we do have to give um, Calgary a bit of credit. They kept the game tight. They kept it like they were in the game yeah. the entire time yeah. because Napoli definitely dominated. But Ranieri sets them up very, very like you know four four two. It is pretty sturdy and pretty like sensible. Mm-hmm. Um, them coming back with two ex Napoli strikers as a strike force in Patania and Pavoletti <laughs> yeah, was Pavoletti. particularly enjoyable. Of course, Pavoletti got his goal. He also tried as he does every game his customary bicycle kick. This one didn't quite come off. I think he nearly <laughs> killed someone as he did it. Um, but he did get his goal um Patania was he's either like well he's always terrible but sometimes he has headline performances this definitely yeah. wasn't one of them he was incredibly no. incredibly ineffective um but I think there was enough there that shows that Calgary do have enough quality they just need to start getting the points because I think they can they, they they're never really getting battered they're always in games and I think Ranieri Ranieri's managing to do that um and again Lavumbo coming off the bench just made a huge difference. I think he's a really, really exciting player. Um, mm, and he was yeah. he was great for them when he came on. Um, but let's leave Napoli there, I think. Um, and we're going to talk about what was the other game, Adam? My mind's... Oh, Bologna. 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 Bologna for the Champions League. Now, for every 10 predictions we get wrong, we might get one right. And at the moment, <laughs> my Bologna prediction is looking quite good. Um, a 2-0 win against Roma, a pretty dominant performance. Um, Adam, how impressed were you with Bologna? I love the style of football they're playing. I love it because they also changed personnel in this match mm-hmm. as well, um, especially when you look at it. Um, so Ravaglia, I think is how you mm-hmm. pronounce it, Ravaglia, in goal, yeah. replacing um, Skorupski and uh, Mora as well. He completely uh, fucked my fantasy culture, by the way. Sorry. I've got Skorupski in goal. I was like, who the hell's this guy? Why the hell's he playing? Anyway, Adam, continue. <laughs> um, but yeah, that initial goal by Bologna was such a fantastic mm-hmm. move because it was a, such a team goal. Beckhamer at the back, kind of passing it out. Just And it was, I think I want to say it was within five passes. It went mm-hmm. from one end of the pitch to the other and it turned into a goal. It was such a spectacular kind of take as well. Um, but yeah, it kind of highlighted how poor Roma were as well in this match. And Bologna with Thiago Mata, who obviously played under Jose in that infamous inter squad that won the treble as well. Um, just just crazy. But I, there's so many highlighted players here for this match. Xerxes as well, showing what an incredible talent he's going to become. And Endoy as well. I was really impressed by Endoy's kind of running in this particular match. He kind of could have nicked it even more for uh, Bologna towards the end of the match. He could have made it at least 3-0. Um, but yeah, the other talking point in this match, Rory, was about Roma and the fact that Mourinho bought on Renato Sanchez and then 20 minutes later takes him off and you just see a clip of Renato Sanchez saying, me, you want me to come off? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and, I'm going yeah, to go just... Career. 
I'm going to go to someone who's had to live under Jose Mourinho and who had to put up with his <laughs> antics. How did you feel about seeing that? Were you surprised? I feel bad for Renato Sanchez. I feel like managers just bully him a little bit. Like, uh, uh, yeah, what do you think of it? He's never been able to really like establish himself anywhere, has he? Like, and it just feels, I do, I feel bad for him, and it almost feels like I, I still kind of picture him as like almost like an eighteen-year-old, like nineteen-year-old breaking through, where he's not that anymore. But just like I still kind of look at him and think he had such a forlorn, sad look on his face when he got yeah. taken off, and it was just like I don't know whether there's kind of been any explanation from Jose around it. Like he tends to skirt around these things and say, "Well, I'm the manager; I can kind of yeah. do what I want." And he's done it. He did it at Tottenham. Um, slightly different circumstances in the sense that he started Eric Dyer and then within 20 minutes of a Champions League game brought him off when we went 1-0 down and it just felt like that, that was also like one of Mourinho's first I think it was his first home game as well mm. as the Tottenham manager mm. and it just felt like bear in mind Dyer at the time was someone that he kind of had put big stocks into in the sense that he wanted him at Man United and it was just like no one could really get their head around what he was doing mm. so he's got form for this kind of stuff Um but it's just, yeah. I mean, Roma is such a weird one. Like those two goals from Bologna were so well worked, but they just carved through Milan. So uh, Roma, sorry, so easily on both mm-hmm. occasions, mm-hmm. from kind of in the centre out wide, back across the goal, and there's, there was there someone to kind of someone to run onto it on both occasions, and it just feels like they're a bit so up. Roma, like Mourinho's kind of sides ever since he had that golden period at Chelsea, and then went back there and won the league. Like he's never really been able to establish any level of consistency anywhere mm. he's been, whether that's Man United or Tottenham. Um, and yeah, his sides have kind of been typically up and down since he had that real honeymoon period. And he is one of the greatest managers ever. We can't dispute that. But you, at what point do you kind of have to say that like it's not worked out really? Obviously, he brought uh, success back to Roma with the um, European trophy, but it just feels like... I don't feel like there's obviously when you've got teams like Bologna kind of moving moving ahead of you in that race for top four under a young coach um, in comparison to Mourinho in Motta, it feels like Mourinho's maybe being left behind a bit. Mm. And again, like he had another little swipe at Tottenham today talking about how um, I've never, you know, the only club to sack me on the eve of a cup final and they've won no trophies and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. It's just like, I'm just quite proud of how rent-free we live in his head. And I th- yeah. feel like we kind He's of, still angry about it. Yeah. He's still angry. Like we were the club that broke him. So, you know, ultimately you've done a favor for football, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll, take, we'll take the moral high ground in this one. You're, like, you're welcome, everybody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his kind of management of, like his man management at Tottenham was terrible of certain mm. players. Like you've kind of seen that again here at Roma. There's so much quality in that Roma team. And mm. it just feels like, Again, it felt like a Tottenham where we had points under him where um, maybe in the second half of the season in COVID where like it wasn't him getting the best out of the players. It was the players bailing him out of certain scenarios. Yeah. And I think Gareth Bale was definitely a player like that where it's like you can rely on, you know, when you've got players like Dybala and less so Lukaku, but Dybala is one of those players that mm-hmm. who will produce in moments um, when you need him to, but you're not going to be able to have someone like him to bail you out every single week. And that was kind of a similar thing that was happening with Bale like towards the end of, um, of Mourinho's time at Spurs. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like he almost, like, had it at Man United as well, like with Ibrahimovic yeah. in that first season. Yeah. Um, he's always just had like, ever since that real period of success for him, he's just been able to like rely on a couple of players that have got him out of jail big time. And that's never going to get you anywhere as a mm-hmm. club. Like, um, So... 
yeah, I'm kind of reveling in his kind of yeah. misery at the moment, which is uh, fantastic. But it's it's kind of a shame to see Roma because Roma is a team that I've really liked, and it's just difficult like they to be in the situation they are. Yeah, yeah. it's difficult to watch Roma honestly because you never know what's going to happen. You yeah. can never, you can't ever expect anything. Like you just got to be like, let's just see where this goes because you never know what's going to happen. But I wanted to finish on Bologna because I feel like the the style of football they're playing, and I really. I'm fascinated by just the amount of runs into the box. It's all vertical passing and it's all super quick breaks. And like you said, with these, with the Rome, with the goals against Roma, Roma looked disorganized. They were disorganized, but they also looked disorganized because the second Bologna press and they win the ball back, it's just like fighter jets. Everyone's running through. So when the ball comes across, you've got three options, you've got four options. And if the ball does get lost, there's someone else chasing it up. I think the style of football they're playing is fantastic. Super, like nice, short passing, quick, intense, and like defensively pretty solid. Like, like you said, Adam, you, you called him out like Bukema. He's come into the league. Incredible yeah. scouting from them. He's come in and just yeah. looked completely at home in the Serie A. Like, I always think, like, because Bologna aren't really a team here that people are talking They've only just started talking about them now. Mm. And he's a player that slowly people are, talk- are talking about. Yeah. And usually when a player comes into the league, they're either talked about because they've been crap or they've been amazing or they've not been noticed. Just And I think he's just fitted in perfectly and just looks so comfortable. It's incredible to see. Um, and Adam, a nice, exciting Polish player coming off the bench, Kasper Urbanski. Uh, did he come off? Um, he came He came on, yeah, he came on late on. He did. Um, an- another young player that they've kind of started to blood in, 19 years old. Yeah, that's nice for him to come on. I wasn't expecting him to necessarily play, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I... I- I must have missed that because I was just seeing the whole result itself in mm-hmm. its entirety rather than him coming on. But yeah, I mean, I haven't seen much of him uh, to be brutally honest in the under twenties or under 21 level, but we have got a few of these polls kind of dotted around uh, Italian clubs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously Italy kind of targets Poland for being kind of a cheap market for them and it gives them another platform right as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. um yeah, let's see. Let's see if he kind of builds himself up, especially with a great tutor like Motta. I mean, well, that's yeah. it exactly. And, and their scouting at the moment is pretty much hit, hit, hit at the moment. Like they've got the old sporting director mm. from Atalanta, which is a big reason why this ship's going this way. And I am kind of thinking now in the table, they are currently on 28 points in, four, in fourth place. Now, all the way down to ninth to Reno are only five points behind. So it's very, very tight down there or up there. But Bologna are giving themselves a massive chance. Seven wins, seven draws, two losses, only 12 goals conceded. Like, it is a very, very impressive season. So hopefully we'll see them at least get Europa League if they got into the Champions League, that would genuinely be monumental oh, be because this is not a, like Bologna are not a historically big team, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it would be great for Motta to do it. So fingers crossed um, for that one. And before we very quickly, before we finish, we very, very quickly need to say um, Milan are kind of looking. Now we know it won't last long and we know it'll <laughs> all fall apart spectacularly, but we do have to give them credit for beating Monza 3 0. This is a game mm-hmm. that I thought would be much tougher than it was. Monza definitely had an off day. Uh, Rinders getting on the score sheet. Simic, a young player getting on the score, young centre back. And Noah Okafor, if he gets more minutes, he will score goals, I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, and he yep. is starting to get a little bit more clinical. So great to see that for Milan. And Adam, you very quickly wanted to talk about Fiorentina. 
Yeah, because Fiorentina have been absolutely shocking. Uh, Andrea probably is uh, reveling in that because they are finding themselves in fifth place right now. Um, and they're doing quite well from a point of view. They're up there in the mix, so to speak. Sorry, I got them fifth. It's actually sixth place. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're level on points with Napoli as it currently stands and one point off Bologna. So doing quite well from that point of view. But the performances was pretty shocking against uh, this Hellas Verona side who had 19 shots compared to their three on target. So um, that kind of shows you how bad Fiorentina and uh, Fiorentina gave away a penalty and Torriciano did save it. So, um, yeah, it's typical Fiorentina, I'd say. Um, they're just playing really poorly. Mm. Uh, maybe they got tips off David Moyes in that final, maybe. That's what it was. Um, but <laughs> just play shit and then you get results, right? Um, but yeah, that's Italiano, I think there's a lot of discontent about his style of football at the moment. So, yeah. His his stock is falling very quickly. I think people are getting a lot, like less and less excited about him at the moment, which is a shame because his name was very, very hot as of six months ago, but it's not quite going as we hoped at Fiorentina. But guys, the last thing we're going to talk about very quickly, the Champions League draw was made today, the last 16. Let's take you through it. Copenhagen against Man City. Of course, Man City got the easy draw. Why would they ever get a difficult draw? RB Leipzig against Real Madrid. PSG Real Sociedad. Lazio Bayern in a lovely um, 1940s derby there. Um, PSV taking on Dortmund, Inter Atletico Madrid, Porto Arsenal and Napoli Barcelona. Ben, I'm going to go to you with two questions. Tie you are most looking forward to and the tie that you think will be an upset. The tie that I'm most looking forward to, I think, is probably Leipzig Real Madrid because I've been really impressed with Leipzig this season. Um, you've got two of the best kind of young talents in the world and Javi Simmons and Jude Bellingham kind of mm-hmm. going up against each other. I don't necessarily think that could be an upset, but I do think, especially the first leg as well, was in Germany. Yeah. Um, obviously, Leipzig kind of made it quite difficult for Man City away from home as well. Uh, Appenders on fire at the moment. Javi Simmons is just going from strength <laughs> to strength. Um, and obviously, Madrid, it'll be interesting to see where they kind of dip into the market in January because obviously they've lost Alaba as well now to an ACL mm-hmm. injury and they've kind of had very bad luck in that aspect. So I'm looking forward to that one. Um, Ty, I think, could be an upset. Um, as much as I want to say Porto Arsenal, um, I'm prob- I don't know. I, I think, you know what? I think. I'd say it as an upset as well. I think I think Sociedad will give PSG a really good game. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion, definitely, yeah. um, as many people would think. It's like, oh, Man City got the easy draw, PSG will get through, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that could be one to definitely keep an eye on. I think Inter Atletico is a good tie to keep an eye on as well. But I think I'm going to say I'm going to say Leipzig to go through against Real Madrid. Nice. I'm going to say wow. that's my upset as I well. like that. You, it, my upset, my upset was going to be Sociedad against PSG as well because I think Sociedad have got the best defense in the in the tournament so far. They've only conceded yep. two goals, I think, and we saw against Dortmund and against Newcastle, PSG cannot finish. So I feel like Sociedad could get a bit of a result there. Um, Adam, game you're looking forward to and upset? Um, I'm going to go with Inter-Atletico as the game to watch out for because I think, yeah, that's generally going to be the one to look out for. And uh, the one I'm going to stick my head online and say might be the uh, kind of underdog that gets through, PSV versus Bayern Munich. Oh, Borussia Dortmund even, sorry. Um, Because I know Borussia Dortmund of late have displayed really well in that kind of uh, Champions League match or group stage, should I say. But PSV, I feel like on the day, over two legs, they could Mm -hmm. do it. 
Let's see. I'm going to just give a shout out and roll one game into both. I'm going to say Napoli-Barcelona is going to be a very, very interesting tie. Um, I know it's Matsadi's Napoli, but I feel like Napoli could really cause Barcelona in all, all sorts of chaos. It looks like Xavi's nearly on his way out. I think Napoli could really take advantage of that, and I think Napoli could get through. I don't know if it would actually count as an upset, but I think it would be an upset if Napoli knocked out Barcelona. So I'm going to say that's the tie to look out for, and that will be the upset. But yeah, Exciting times. Last 16, Arsenal in the last 16. I de- I dreamed of days like this. It's been a long time. Jesus. Um, good. Well, guys, we are finished for today. There is some midweek action in the Carabao Cup and the Coppa Italia. On Friday, we will come back to you with a recap of all that. And it will be our last show of the year. Signing off 2023 in style. We'll be talking about our favourite moments in 2023. Um, looking forward to the January transfer window because... It's only a week away, two weeks away. It flies, time flies, eh? Um, so we will see you on Friday. Ben, as always, thanks for coming on. Um, when our viewers want to find you, where can they find your stuff online? Uh, you can find me, uh, thanks for having me on as always, uh, as well. Uh, you can find me, Ben Talks Football, on TikTok and on Twitter as well. If you search that, it will come up. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, I'm looking forward to coming back in the new year beautiful yeah of course man yeah have a good christmas have a good new year crazy stuff um so guys as always hit like and subscribe down here you can find us on tiktok and instagram at anglo italian pod on twitter at italian anglo pod um and yeah adam anything to say before we go uh buon natale or antonio di natale (laughs) (laughs) tony christmas tony guys thank you very much we will see you on friday Ciao, arrivederci. Ciao. Sports Social Podcast Network.